the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbour in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with its head, legs and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as the festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come. That his hour had come to depart from this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, uh, Simon Iscariot to betray him and during supper Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God got up from the table took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, 
one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet but is but is entirely clean and you are clean though not all of you for he knew who was to betray him for this reason he said not all of you are clean after he had washed their feet and put on his robe and had returned to the table he said to them do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, I did have some words prepared, but I've also felt prompted to speak about Jordan Peterson. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a kind of poster boy for the new or alt-right, I think. Um, he was saying recently he's been very ill and he was saying that he basically wanted to longed to believe in christianity but he failed to see the evidence in the enough evidence in the lives of his followers to convince him now i think that's um you could say that was a bit harsh or you could hear the ring of truth in it like in a lot of things that he can say now, the Bible tells us that Jesus asked his followers, his disciples, to prepare for the Passover supper in Jerusalem. And what might this special night of all nights have to say to somebody like Jordan Peterson? Well, for Jews then and now, the Passover meal is not simply a remembrance of a meal at the night before. It's a remembrance, uh, or not simply a remembrance of the meal eaten the night before God rescued the people from enslavement to Pharaoh in Egypt. For the Jewish people, it's a meal that points also towards the end of time, a time when all the sin, addiction, sickness, injustice, sorrow, torch, torture and exploitation will come to an end. Everything that's not of God will end. Everything which, like the pharaohs of the past, kept people in slavery, all of that will be overturned. 
and God will return in person to rescue his people. That's what Passover is all about. This is the meal which says that Israel's God is about to become king. At all Passover meals, there's, an, there's unleavened bread on the table. And the bread's unleavened because when the first Passover was celebrated, as we've heard, the bread had to be made quickly because the Jewish people had to leave urgently. There wasn't much time to wait for yeast to do its stuff. The bread therefore symbolizes that first rescue from Pharaoh in Egypt. But it also represents forgiveness of sins because yeast in the Bible is used as a metaphor for sin. At modern Passover celebrations, there's also wine. In fact, there are four different cups of wine drunk, each with their own symbolism. The first represents cleansing from sin. The second, rejoicing. The third is a warm cup to represent the lamb's blood. And the last is called the cup of praise. Now, we don't know how many cups of wine were used in Jesus' day at the Passover, but we do know that the symbolism of the wine then also included the representation of a thing called the blood of the covenant. Now, Moses, the one who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt, was also the one who first received God's law. And when he received that law, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, it was his job to pass it on to God's people. And when he brought down those stone tablets to give to the people, he did something else. He sprinkled the people with blood. Now, that sounds pretty disgusting. I think I'd probably get drummed out of church if I came down the aisle and sprayed you all with blood. But that sprinkled blood was called the blood of the covenant. It was a sign of the covenant between God and his people, a covenant that meant that they would be his people and he would be their God. It was a covenant which also initiated a system of worship and sacrifice centered around God's temple that continued for centuries. And so let's fast forward now to Jesus' day. Only a few days before the Last Supper, Jesus had cleansed the temple and prophesied its destruction. And lo and behold, within 50 years, it was destroyed. And yet here Jesus is apparently celebrating a meal that totally relied on the temple system. All lambs consumed at the Passover had first to be sacrificed at the temple. But at this meal, Jesus does something quite new. Jesus takes those two main symbols of Passover, bread and wine, and he applies them for the first time to himself. At Passover, the unleavened bread signified the past and future rescue of God's people, the people of Israel. But Jesus, lifting the bread, transfigures this meaning. He reveals for the first time what this bread was ultimately pointing to. This bread signified Jesus' actual body, given not just for the people of Israel, but for the whole world. He was saying that no longer just the people of Israel, but every tribe and every nation were God's people. And not just that, just as the unleavened bread made without yeast for speed before the hurried first exodus indicated that escape was nigh. So Jesus was telling him that this bread representing his body 
to be broken in death meant the final exodus from sin was very near. And the wine? Well, these cups of wine had represented the blood of the lamb daubed on the lintels, which protected people from the angel of death. And the sprinkled blood of the old covenant, when God gave his people the law through Moses, now, Jesus was saying that the wine represented something new. It was the blood of the new covenant. The blood Jesus would very soon shed to begin the new covenant of God with his people. A covenant for the forgiveness of sins and complete deliverance from death for all. A covenant where this new law was love. Now, those receiving this meal were to be the new covenant people. In his letter to the Corinthians, which we include in our liturgy, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's an implication that this proclamation, this eating and drinking in remembrance of Jesus, is now not supposed to be a once a year kind of thing. It's an implication confirmed elsewhere in the New Testament where it speaks of the believers gathering regularly to break bread. But why not just once a year? A sign of the replacement of the old Passover with the new. Well, I think it's linked in with the foot washing. John's gospel says that this took place during the meal. The bread was blessed and broken at the beginning of the meal and the cup taken at the end. So this action by Jesus was an integral part of the meal. For something like the Passover, it would have been reasonable to assume that they'd had their best big bib and tucker on, they'd have had their feet washed beforehand. But obviously, no one had volunteered. For Jesus to perform this menial task was bad enough, but to do it once they'd already started eating must have been even more shocking. But like Jesus taking the bread and the wine, this action was the one that pointed prophetically to the cross. First of all, it was shocking and humiliating. Only the lowest of the low were usually responsible for foot washing and the cross was reserved for the worst of criminals. Criminals who were humiliated by being nailed naked in front of jeering crowds. But this foot washing wasn't just about Jesus' obedience to the humiliation of the cross, or his modeling of the kind of sacrificial service that we should all be prepared to offer to others. The foot washing also points to the definitive nature of the cross and its importance in the forgiveness of sins. Foot washing in Jesus' day was something that happened frequently, even more frequently than bathing. Jesus makes it clear in his words to Peter, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet. It is through the cross that our entire nature is restored our sins forgiven and we're brought back into relationship with God. But as any one of us know, and as Jordan Peterson has clearly spotted, once forgiven, 
Unfortunately, in our pilgrimage of faith, we will be liable to sin again. We can't keep our pilgrim's feet clean. So while we don't need to be completely saved again, we do need to have our continued sin, the sin of our feet, if you like, forgiven. But in order for that to happen, we have to know what our feet are like. We have to acknowledge where the dirt is and we have to take it to Jesus. By receiving communion regularly, we are regularly reminded that Jesus' blood continues to cleanse us from our sins. Now, all this may have been crystal clear to Jesus at the time, but I very much doubt the disciples understood what he was doing. They were puzzled a lot of the time. When we look at the story now, it's full of foreboding and significance, but it wasn't like that for them. For them, although special, it was just another meal. Things were certainly looking rather more risky for Jesus, but they'd been like that for a while. I'm sure they imagined there would be more meals to follow. According to Luke's gospel, they even argued among themselves during dinner about who was the greatest. And they couldn't even stay awake after the meal when Jesus asked them to. But later, they saw these events with new eyes. They saw the events supremely pointing to their servant-hearted God, who loved them enough to send his only son to die for them. They saw the events pointing them towards a new way of life, set free from the slavery of sin. And they saw that the way forward was to confess their sins, one to another. They saw that the way forward was the way of love, of service, of humility. That love was the means and the end, the mark of true discipleship. Let us pray. Father, we, like the disciples, cannot fully prehend the mystery of your great love for us. Lord, help us so to love you that we are enabled to serve and love one another, to confess our sins to one another. Make our lives become a witness of your love for the world and lead our feet further each day into your promised land. Amen. Amen.